The media loves weaponizing faux empathy to convince you that agreeing with their narrative is the only compassionate option. But when we look under the surface of the media coverage of a Texas mass shooting that occurred over the weekend, an impending surge of migrants at the Texas border, and the recently passed Florida abortion law, we see that there is actually a better, more compassionate, more truthful way to approach each of these stories. This episode is brought to you by our friends at Good Ranchers. Go to GoodRanchers.com. Use code Allie at checkout for a discount. That's GoodRanchers.com. Code Allie. Hey guys, welcome to Relatable. Happy Monday. Hope everyone had a wonderful weekend reminder that I like to bring to the table every now and then in the words of Elizabeth Elliot. The only thing that you have to do today is the will of God. That might be one of my favorite quotes of all time. The only thing that you have to do today is the will of God. That might seem really overwhelming. Wow, what is the will of God? How do we know? Do we have to sit in silence for hours and hours until he tells us directly in an audible voice what he wants us to do? Thankfully, we have what the will of God is in his word. And if we don't know exactly how that manifests itself in the next moment of our lives, all we have to do, as we say often on Relatable, is take the next right step or do the next right thing in faith with excellence and for the glory of God. That might be changing a diaper joyfully. That might be washing dishes. That might be a conversation with a friend or sending an email at work in a way that is enthusiastic and kind and excellent. Or it could be taking that big leap of faith that you have been putting off for a really long time, that big step of obedience, that big act of repentance that you know that God has been convicting you of, but you've been too scared to do. So it could be public or private or it could be personal, it could be political, it could be small or big, but do the next right thing in faith with excellence and for the glory of God. That is literally all we are called to do in any given moment. That's all we've been given the capacity to do. We are all placed on this tiny speck of eternity, on this small spot of the universe for such a finite time. And all we are called to do is to make more beautiful and more orderly and more kind and more loving, this small limited sphere that God has providentially placed us in that we occupy. And so there are a lot of different ways that you can do that. And it'll look different according to our circumstances, according to our age, according to our calling, according to our connections, the people that we know, and according to the gifts that we have been given. So do the next right thing in faith with excellence and for the glory of God. And remember, as we talk about all these things that, of course, we have to talk about every day that induce, at least in me, I won't speak for you, a lot of anxiety sometimes, a lot of fear, a lot of just sadness of like, wow, this world is just so broken and scary. Um, We are immortal until God calls us home. That's a butchering of someone else's quote, and I can't remember exactly who said it. We are immortal until God calls us home. Remember, Psalm 139 is that he's written every single one of our days before any of them came to be. He is totally sovereign over all of it. And so we can live completely boldly knowing that he has got us. So I wanted to I wanted to set us up with that. I wanted to lay the foundation for our week and for this episode because, of course, the things that we have to talk about today are not fun things. I wish that I didn't have to get into yet 
another mass shooting that has occurred. Um, This time it was in Texas, specifically in Allen, Texas. I grew up in uh, the DFW Metroplex. Allen was about I don't know, 25 minutes from where I grew up, Allen Premium Outlets, very popular outside shopping center in Dallas. And on Saturday, a shooter decided to spray bullets at a crowd of shoppers and it left eight people dead. There are several others injured. Some are still fighting for their lives in critical condition. So I'll tell you what we know about that. Um, I was actually told this morning by a friend that there's a family from, it was like the rival Christian high school growing up. There was a family from there, mom, Um, little kids who were all shopping together and the entire family except for one of the children was killed. And one of the children is apparently fighting for his life in critical condition at the hospital. Um, So just a, gosh, a tragedy all around. I, I read an account from someone saying that he dragged this woman who had been shot into a store trying to get her to safety and she had been shot in the stomach. He said that blood was pouring out and she was just saying, I don't understand. I don't understand what's happening. I, I, why, why am I shot? I don't know if that woman lived or died. I just cannot imagine the absolute devastation and sadness and emptiness these families must feel. That little child who is in the hospital, I don't even know if he's woken up from a coma, who will realize that his entire family has now been murdered by this senseless, disgusting act of violence. Um, So we'll talk about what happened and we'll talk about the reaction to it and what the heck do we make of all of this yet again. So I go back and forth on whether I should say the name of the shooter. I've said it in the past. Like If you go back, you'll probably it'll probably seem like I'm just contradictory. Like I can't make up my mind. And I guess that's true because sometimes I have shared the name because it seems relevant. Other times I haven't shared the name because I remember that, oh, right. These people do this for notoriety. They do this for a kind of sick fame and they want their name to be in all the headlines. And maybe I shouldn't perpetuate that. With the Nashville shooter, I think that we did share the name because there was some confusion about whether this was actually a man or a woman because this person identified as the opposite sex. This time, I'm not going to. And I really want to be more consistent going forward. There's no relevance to the story, this person's name. And just in case he is trying to gain some notoriety, I'll at least play my small part in not giving him that. So this occurred This past Saturday, May 6th, Dallas, Texas, the shooting began around 3.30 local time. He was reportedly using a semi-automatic rifle, which has been repeatedly called an AR-15 style firearm, which I, I really hate media reporting when it comes to these acts of violence that are perpetrated by people using guns because there's a lack of specific, uh, specificity. There's a lack of knowledge when it comes to guns. AR-15 style typically just means like a big black gun. And so we don't really know the exact firearm, but I did see a very gruesome picture of what was reported to be the shooter laying on the ground after police officers had shot him. And it did look like, you know, he was in tactical gear. He did have a big 
black gun next to him. I don't know exactly what kind of gun it is. I won't pretend um, that I am an expert on being able to pick that out quickly by looking at a a blurry picture, Um, but it was a big black rifle. The shooter was approved to work as a security guard in Texas from April 2016 until April 2020 when his license expired. According to the database, he worked for at least three security uh, companies. We haven't heard from these companies. Like, why did he leave them? Was he fired? The strange thing is, though, is that he... um, he, he was, so he served in the U.S. Army in 2008, but was removed because of mental health concerns. So that is a little troubling to me that he was removed from the army because of mental health concerns. And then he was still allowed to have this firearm training and become a security, uh, become a security officer. We don't know that much more about him. Law enforcement um, hasn't revealed very much about what they know besides his name, besides his age, uh, where he lived, obviously trying to talk to family, trying to talk to neighbors, trying to figure out um, a motive and how exactly exactly this happened, why this happened. The neighbors that law enforcement have talked to said they didn't recall any sort of police activity or problems at the house, but noted that he was very quiet with some unusual behaviors, but they didn't elaborate on what those behaviors were. Look, they're probably scared. They're probably shocked. They probably don't know how much detail to give. Eventually, I'm sure law enforcement will reveal some more information about what these unusual behaviors, as the neighbors describe, um, actually were, if they were warning signs. Apparently, he does not have a lengthy uh, criminal history, but the media believes that they have landed upon Uh, what the motive is for this. Very quickly, they turned out a narrative. Now, you'll remember that the Nashville shooter, who identified as the opposite uh, opposite sex, identified as transgender, uh, had written a manifesto that we knew that law enforcement had found detailing why exactly she committed the act that she did, why she chose Covenant Christian School, why she killed those nine people, including those six children. Not only has the manifesto not been released, which I'm not necessarily a proponent for. I mean, if this is if her manifesto was detailing how exactly you accomplish a mass shooting, I'm not sure that the public would benefit from that. That would easily fall into the wrong hands. But just to reveal the clear motivations, um, I think that that is of interest to the public. And yet law enforcement has not done that. The media has not pushed for that. The media hasn't even surmised why this person who went to Covenant Christian School, grew up, decided they were the opposite sex, clearly rebelled against her Christian upbringing, went to this Christian school, shot it up and killed nine people. Like they can't even put those pieces together, but they think they've landed on the clear motivation for the shooter Uh, the shooter who committed these acts of violence on Saturday, two days ago. So we'll get into that in just one second. Let me tell you about our first sponsor for the day. That is Good Ranchers. You guys know I love Good Ranchers. We're cooking Good Ranchers every night in our house, the better than organic chicken, uh, the craft beef, all different cuts of steak. I mean, there's just a lot of security and comfort in having a freezer full of meat. 
because you have something every night and then should something happen, I don't know, you're not able to get the food supply that you need, you know you at least have that. And I love that it's all from American farms and ranches. You know, a lot of these companies, they say that they are selling this American meat. Really, it's only packaged in America, but it's coming from abroad. So if you want to help American farms and ranches, you might as well get your meat from Good Ranchers. Also, you've probably seen those headlines saying that, oh, now livestock is being injected with mRNA vaccines, all this kind of stuff. Well, Good Ranchers is committed uh, that they will not be getting meat from any livestock that's been injected with that stuff. And so there's just a lot to love about this. It's really high quality and it's really convenient. It shows up at your front door every month on dry ice. They also have seafood. And this is just, I mean, it's really, really good tasting stuff. And plus the people at Good Ranchers, they're conservatives, they're Christians. You might as well support them. And it makes sure that your um that your groceries are affordable every month because you can get this at a really good price. Go to GoodRanchers.com. Use code Allie at checkout for $30 off. GoodRanchers.com. Code Allie. Also, my apologies. I still, I don't know. Allergies, something. Spring is here. And so I apologize that I'm still kind of getting over that. All right, let's talk about these media narratives. I first saw Wall Street Journal tweet that this person was a suspected white supremacist. And so I knew that if the Wall Street Journal was reporting that, then CNN would pick up on that quickly. So would the New York Times and CNN, of course, did. Um, CNN originally reported that investigators found social media accounts that connected to the shooter that reveal hundreds of postings and images, including including writings with racially or ethnically motivated violent extremist rhetoric, neo-Nazi material, and material espousing the supremacy of the white race. Uh, none of the subjects' postings analyzed to date were liked or sh- shared by other users. Do- users, nor were any public comments. The shooter's account did not contain any friends or associates that were publicly visible. However, the CNN website has now removed this section about his social media history. So I think that that's I think that that's a little bit strange. So they had originally reported that about this suspect, and now they've removed that section of their reporting. A law enforcement official speaking on condition of anonymity to CNN told the AP, um, or actually told the AP, not CNN, that federal officials are looking into whether this shooter was motivated by white supremacist or neo-Nazi ideologies, but did not elaborate. So they really, the most that we know is that law enforcement is looking into that. CNN originally reported all these connections apparently that law enforcement had made on social media. I guess that's not true or they didn't have enough evidence for that because they uh, reported it. They ran with it, of course, because it goes with their narrative because they link white supremacy with conservatism, with the right wing, and then they had to redact it. I don't know if they apologized for this, but they put it out there. I'm sure it got enough people angry. People aren't going to see the redaction. And then the narrative, of course, is set. Now, before we get into what some other media people have said about this. Like, let me just say, I know that we're not saying his name and we're not going to put up his picture. Um, His name is the equivalent to, and I'm sorry, this is just a fake name that I am making up, okay? This is not a real person. This is not the person, this is not the name of the shooter. His name, though, is equal to Pablo Rodriguez, Okay. So they're saying that someone apparently named something like Pablo Rodriguez, who looks like a Pablo Rodriguez, was a raging white 
supremacist. CNN's homepage Sunday evening said this, investigators look at Texas gunmen's possible link to right-wing extremism. Now, I want you to really break down that headline. Investigators look at Texas gunmen's possible link to right-wing extremism. Okay, there's a lot of assumptions there. There's a lot of, um, there's a big lack of substantiation. It doesn't say that there is a link. It doesn't say that they found a link but that there is a possible link that investigators are looking for. So all we know, this is just an idea that investigators or an investigator has in their mind that they are actually looking for. Right-wing extremism, by the way, they call, or they call white supremacy, they call racism a right-wing phenomenon. They link that to conservatism. In their mind, there is really, and in their reporting, there's really no difference between someone who watches Tucker Carlson and a white supremacist extremist. And so this is what they do. They tie this kind of violence to the right wing in general. They don't even know if this is true, but they're willing to surmise it. They're willing to go ahead and put it out there in a way that, of course, like I said, they wouldn't for the Nashville shooter because it helps them. It stokes racial division which the left-wing media really like. And it stokes resentment and fear of and hatred of the right wing. It associates all of conservatism with white supremacy so that people are scared to be associated with it. It accomplishes a lot of evil things for the media. The Washington Post reported the gunman who opened fire on an outlet mall in a Dallas suburb Saturday, killing at least eight people, was a man in his early 30s who may have had white supremacist or neo-Nazi beliefs. People familiar with the investigation said Sunday. So again, like slow down and take in every one of those words may have had white supremacist or neo-Nazi beliefs, people familiar with the investigation said on Sunday. So not even investigators themselves. Attorney General Ken Paxton told Glenn Beck that law enforcement gave him no details yesterday in a briefing that the Allen, Texas shooter was a quote-unquote white supremacist or held neo-Nazi views. Unlike the FBI and media, they were waiting for facts to come in before jumping to a political conclusion. Now, people are also pointing out, because as I said, there's this partial picture of the deceased shooter um, that was widely circulated as uh, that was widely circulated, and people are looking at the different tattoos. I mean, this guy was uh, this a clearly Hispanic guy was covered in tattoos. He had a tattoo on his hand. Some people are saying this is the Texas, uh, this is a Texas cartel gang tattoo. And so people are saying that this is, um, this is cartel related. Other people are saying, no, this is just the city of Dallas symbol, which I, I like, I didn't, I grew up in Dallas. I didn't even know there was a city of Dallas symbol. Um, but people are saying, no, that's the tattoo that was on his hand. I'm not sure the internet sleuths, although internet sleuths are very impressive in their investigations. I'm not sure that they've landed on anything particular here. Uh, President Biden, he released his statement on Twitter. Eight Americans, including children, were killed in Allen, Texas yesterday. The latest act of gun violence to devastate our nation. And then he goes on to say, once again, Congress must send me a bill banning assault weapons and high capacity magazines, enacting universal background checks, requiring safe storage, ending immunity for gun manufacturers. Now, here's the thing. We can debate all of those. 
I, I'm not sure that any of these things are actually connected to what happened on Saturday. That's, that's what I just don't know. And what I've, this is what I said after the Nashville shooting. Like if the right is willing to come to the table and say, you know what? Because I think that we all are. Of course we all are. Tired of this. So tired. Every single time one of these freaking things happens, I'm like, I'm just so devastated and so exhausted. I mean, and of course what we feel isn't even comparable to what the victims and their, and their families have felt. But uh, we all are tired of this. We don't want this to happen. We don't. But look, the fact is, the fact is we do have a Second Amendment. It's not going to be overturned. Like there is actually a process by which a constitutional amendment is overturned. And by the way, obviously, I don't want the Second Amendment overturned. It's there for a very good reason. But there is. There's a Second Amendment. You're not going to confiscate people's guns. It's not going to happen in the state of Texas. <laughs> sure, I know you could say, well, maybe there's an AR-15 ban. All right. Well, 99% of violence that's perpetrated by people who own guns is perpetrated by people with handguns. And so the problem is much bigger than these shootings, like the one that we see on Saturday. But look, if we're willing to come to the table and discuss all those things, if we're saying, okay, all options on the table, let's look to see what will change things and save lives. If the right is willing to look at policy that has to do with guns, the left has to be willing to come to the table and to look at the other issues at hand. That means you have to be willing to admit, left side of the aisle, that there are laws on the books, especially in these major cities um, where so much of this so-called gun violence occurs that are simply not enforced, that our criminal justice system actually incentivizes crime by failing to punish crime, that we have an immense morality crisis, a soullessness, godlessness crisis, that we are encouraging this kind of violence through the rhetoric that is put forth in these salacious and unsubstantiated media headlines. Like, we've got to be willing to look underneath the surface, too. I'm not saying that there is no policy discussion to be had. I mean, you guys know where I stand on this. I think the Second Amendment is important. That doesn't mean that I think that there should be no policy whatsoever surrounding guns and gun ownership. I don't, I don't believe that. But if we're willing to come to the table and say, okay, let's talk about this from a policy perspective, you guys have to be able to come to the table and look at other problems and solutions that exist here too. Because until you're willing to do that, like I don't really believe that you care. I don't really believe that you're serious about changing things for the better. If all you propose are solutions that are so-called solutions that are never going to be enacted, like if all you're, all you're advocating for is gun confiscation, all you're advocating for is making it as hard as possible for law-abiding citizens to own guns, I can't take you seriously because it's never going to happen. I mean, even looking at something like the AR-15, it's the most popular rifle in America. You're simply not going to confiscate it from the millions of people who own it. Like, love it or hate it. That's the truth. And so if we really want things to change, you're going to have to meet us. You're going to have to meet us there and admit that it's not just the guns. Because as I've said, America has had guns and has had a quote-unquote gun culture forever. 
I mean, we've had millions of guns for a very long time. The AR-15 has been around since the 1950s. It has not functionally changed. And yet it was 40 years before it was used for a mass shooting. And so the guns haven't changed. Even the popularity of guns haven't changed, but something else has. There has been a moral shift, a soul shift, a heart shift, a mind shift in our nation. I'm not saying that there is no policy discussion to be had. I'm not saying that we shouldn't find ways to make sure that law-abiding citizens, that responsible citizens can still own guns while also making sure that these guns don't get into the wrong hands so that people aren't mercilessly murdered. I'm not saying that there's not a conversation there. I'm saying that the conversation is much bigger and much deeper than that. And what I'm seeing is that many Americans are not willing to have it while pointing fingers at us and saying that the right is the problem for caring about the Second Amendment at all. It's a bigger conversation. And until you are willing to address the things that are driving the despair and the depravity that would motivate a person to act like this, then we're not going to get anywhere. That's, that's the truth of it. And like I, I do, I also think that it's just the rhetoric, the conversation, the debate after a mass shooting is just so cynical so quickly. It's so ugly so fast. There is this person, I think I blocked him at some point, or maybe he blocked me. His name's John Cooper. Not the cool John Cooper. Not the skill at John Cooper. This is a the evil dork, John Cooper. He was a former member of the New York State Legislature. He worked in both the Biden and uh, Obama campaigns, and he tweeted this. Who do you blame for the Allen, Texas shooting? A, Fox News. B, Greg Abbott. C, NRA. D, all of the above. <sighs> okay, so what does that do? How does that help? You saving lives, John Cooper? You helping bring us together? You forging empathy for us? I don't know the answer. I'm not going to pretend to know the answer. I, I really don't. I'm just, uh, I'm just confounded every time something like this happens. It, it's not surprising considering the environment that we live in. It's not surprising considering the trajectory that we've been on for a, a very long time. I mean, America is basically in a pressure cooker. There's so many factors that are working against us. It's actually amazing that we are as relatively peaceful as we are as a country. Um, but man, I mean, I want it to end too. I do. I'm willing to come to the table, but like we have to be reasonable, right? We have to be truthful. Last thing I just wanted to say is thank God for law enforcement. Thank God for law enforcement. Oh my goodness. Can you imagine if Allen, Texas had defunded the police? I am so thankful that they apprehended this suspect so quickly. They shot him dead. And I mean, he's paying the price for his rebellion against God for all of eternity. He sees now and will feel for all of eternity that his deal with the devil was not worth it. And I'm thankful for the justice that he received here on earth, um, that he was killed immediately. And that while eight image bearers of God, eight precious, innocent people died, just having like a normal, fun Saturday with their families, that there weren't more. I'm very thankful for that. So thank God for law enforcement. Thank God for courageous men. Thank you so much for being willing to go into the line of fire amidst all the criticism 
um, and very often unfair criticism that you receive. Wow, I am so, so thankful for that. All right. Um, that's all I wanted to say on that. We'll get into a couple more things uh, in just a second. Let me pause. Let me tell you about our next sponsor for the day, and that is Bambi. All right. I've got a lot of small business owners that listen to this podcast, and maybe you went into business because, well, you have a really good idea, you have a great product, you want to work for yourself, or maybe you were just tired of spending your money at places or your friends spending your money at places that hate their values. So you went into business so you can align with your values and make great stuff to sell to people. But there is one reason for sure that you did not go into business, and that is uh, to waste all of your time on HR issues. And if you're running a small business, especially if you have employees, like you got to deal with HR. It's not something you can just sweep under the rug. And you probably can't afford right now to hire a full-time HR manager, pay them seventy-five dollars to $90,000 a year. So you're like, what the heck? What the heck? What do I do? Because I'm drowning in this HR stuff. I don't want to lose my business, but I got to take care of it. What you do is you get Bambi. Bambi offers a dedicated virtual HR manager starting at just $99 a month. Your HR manager is available by phone, email, real-time chat, so onboarding terminations can run smoothly. Team members can reach peak performance. Your business stays compliant with changing HR regulations. And with Bambi's HR Autopilot, you'll automate important HR practices like setting policies, training, and feedback. Um, This is just a great, great deal for small business owners. I highly recommend it. It's just going to take something off your plate. $99 a month is an absolutely amazing deal. Go to Bambi.com right now. Type in Relatable under podcast when you sign up. It helps the show a lot. Spelled Bambi, B-A-M-B-E-E.com. Type in Relatable under podcast. Bambi.com. Type in Relatable. All right. Tomorrow, we're actually going to have a psychologist on the show who has done a lot of research into the mind of mass shooters and what radicalizes these young men to commit these atrocious acts of violence. This is an amazing psychologist. You're going to learn a lot from him. And so we'll get more into that. Um, We'll get more into that tomorrow. But I did want to talk about just a couple other things that you've probably seen in the news. Uh, This one also happened in Texas, in Brownsville, Texas. This is a border town. Eight people are dead. Nine others are injured after a car ran into pedestrian Sunday morning while they were waiting at a bus stop. This apparently happened uh, outside of a migrant center. We don't know the motivation. They're investigating whether it was purposeful Right now, it looks like it's purposeful. Um, and uh, this was a, a group of migrants, mostly, apparently. And um, and so we're not totally sure what's happening. Apparently, the person who committed the act is in the hospital recovering. Again, there are some um, questions about whether this is gang-related. And so um, just another troubling incident in which both adults and children were needlessly and maliciously uh, killed. And so be thinking about that community as well and the families of the victims. Now, speaking of a border town, I did just want to bring up something that's happening soon, and we'll have to have another episode to talk in more detail about what's going on. But you've probably heard that there's about to be a big change in our immigration system. And that's because the Biden administration is preparing to lift an emergency health rule 
This is according to the New York Times that has been used to prevent hundreds of thousands of migrants from entering the United States, setting the stage for what could be a new immigration surge that inflames political tensions and strains resources across the southern border. So you know that if the New York Times is opening their article like that, then it's going to be big. It's going to be bad. Probably the only TV outlet that's going to be covering it is going to be Fox News. Of course, people will be talking about it here. You'll hear about it on Twitter. More conservative publications will be talking about it and the dangers of it. Um, Title 42 was, uh, was the policy that basically said because of COVID restrictions, like you're not, you're not getting it. Now they're going to be removing that. It was put in place three years ago, and this is attracting a huge wave of migrants at the border who are really excited that they're going to be able to get in illegally, and they know that they are going to overwhelm the border. They're going to overwhelm Border Patrol, and they're going to be able to get into the United States and um, live illegally, but probably safely for a long period of time. Look, you don't have to be anti-immigrant or be a racist or a white supremacist to understand the obvious truth that this is dangerous. Anytime you allow in a large surge of people without checking their backgrounds, without going through a legal process, you are inviting more crime. You are inviting more destitution. You are inviting more chaos. And if there is any job that a government has, it is to protect the sovereignty and the border and the safety and security of its citizens. It's to put those things um, first. It's to prioritize the safety and security and well-being of its citizens before it prioritizes the well-being and safety of other country citizens. Of course, it is moral. It is righteous. It is good. It is compassionate to have a very strong border with extremely strict immigration laws. You can call that whatever you want to. We can debate different kinds of immigration policy. But if you care at all about the country that you're leading, about the state that you're leading, then you will do everything possible to keep people out who should not be here. And if you are not a citizen or you are not here legally, you should not be here, period. We are very accepting of asylum seekers. We're very accepting of refugees. I'm not saying that we should have no acceptance of these people, but the people who are showing up at the border just because they're there, just because they're fleeing difficult circumstances in other countries does not mean that they are refugees. Yeah, most people in the world could find better circumstances in the United States. That does not mean that they have a right to come into our country and live here illegally. They don't have a right to come to the country at all. Like immigration is not a right that you have. I don't have a right to move to Zimbabwe and to say, I'm just here now. Give me all the benefits of living in Zimbabwe. Let me... Um, let me live on the government's dole. Let me get the same protection, the same rights, the same privileges that a citizen has. And actually, Zimbabwe wouldn't tolerate it. Most countries don't tolerate this kind of thing. But America, because we have been guilted by this narrative that says that we have been um, a, a force for oppression and white supremacy and imperialism throughout our history that now we have to pay back those debts by allowing everyone in without any kind of stipulations or regulations. We're really stupid. Actually, we are the victims of weaponized empathy. 
And I'm writing a book on this that'll be out next year. We are victims of weaponized empathy, where we are told these superficial narratives that everyone who comes here is a refugee. Everyone who wants to be here deserves to be here. And because we have a muddy history with even the discovery of America and indigenous peoples and colonialism and and slavery and imperialism and war and all of these things that we have no moral right to protect our borders. Look, the history of the world is muddy. The history of the world is oppression. The history of the world is imperialism. The history of the world uh, is conquering. And now I'm not justifying all of the methods, all of the means used for each of these things, but that is the truth of it. And so that would that would mean that no one has the right to their own country. No one has the right to have citizenship. No one has the right to an orderly nation. No one has the right to protect their borders. And some people do believe that. Of course, that is the end goal of maybe like extreme forms of globalism is not just interaction between nations, but literally borderless nations. I mean, Open Society Foundation, that is, you know, a Soros-backed organization really believes in that. They push this kind of migrant crisis. They fund this kind of migrant crisis because they want chaos in the West, particularly in the United States, because a weaker America is better for the long-term agenda of making sure that there is a world power that is not the United States, but is actually put in place by the people at the World Economic Forum. Um, And if that still sounds conspiratorial to you, it's okay. You got mm, a little time to catch up, maybe until like tomorrow. Uh, You can go back and listen to some episodes that I've done with Justin Haskins, and he will map all of that out brilliantly for you. So this is not just spontaneous. This is not just coincidental. This is planned. This is strategic. It will uh, absolutely lead to the deterioration and the endangerment of people in the United States. Immigrant or non-immigrant, white, black, brown, it doesn't matter. Massive surges of unchecked, unregulated migration are bad for countries. They just are doesn't mean those people are not innately made in the image of God. doesn't mean they're not beautiful, wonderful people who could be very productive citizens, but let them become productive citizens the right way. If you change the country through this kind of, through this kind of massive transition, it leads to destabilization. It leads to more division. It's not good. And the Biden administration, of course, we already know that they're sellouts. They don't really care. They don't care at all. They don't care about the well-being of the country. I think we've seen that in how they've handled China. So just understand that's coming up. I don't even know what is there to do about it. I'm sure Governor Abbott in Texas is doing the most that he possibly can. I pray and hope that he does. Um, But there are only so many border agents. So I'm sure that there are other people out there that have that have uh, proposed solutions. We'll see exactly what's going to happen. Title 42 is set to expire at 11.59 p.m. Eastern on Thursday. So Friday is going to be very interesting. Now, our role as Christians is not to say that we should have open borders and not to say that we have to accept everyone who wants to come here. But of course, the people who are here, they're here. And our responsibility is to care for those 
who need care. And that's what Christians are going to do. That's what churches are going to do. They're going to show up, make sure that people are fed, make sure that people are cared for, that they do have shelter, that they do have clothing. That is our responsibility for the people here. And we can simultaneously do those things. We can simultaneously love people as image bearers of God, understand that they come from a difficult circumstance while also saying it is best for everyone in other countries in our country to have a strong border and to have strict border laws rather than incentivizing the very dangerous um, track of migrants um, that come here from South America, rather than endanger our own citizens and our own resources, we protect our sovereignty. That is what a government is supposed to do. That's what a government is supposed to do. We can do those things while also loving the people around us well. All right, before we finish up, let me tell you about our next sponsor, and that is ExpressVPN, probably my most used sponsor because it is always running in the background of my computer, my tablet, my phone, and it just protects my privacy and safety when I am searching the web. It anonymizes um, my identity and it reroutes my location. So if I'm sharing the Wi-Fi with people, people can't see who I am or where I am. These websites that track your location, they can't accurately track my location when I am using ExpressVPN. And so that's why I really like it. I just feel good. I always have it on, especially when I'm on public Wi-Fi because I really care about protecting my information and protecting my privacy. And they make it really easy. It's just an app that you download, you start up your account, and then you can use that same account on up to five different devices. And so you can probably have it for every device that your family has using just one account and one payment. And you turn on the app and it's good to go. You don't have to be technologically savvy or anything like that. Plus, one cool thing is that if you use ExpressVPN when you're streaming, you can actually open yourself up to like a whole catalog of content um, that you don't have in your own location because, you know, different countries have different content that's available on these like streaming services. And so you can say that, say you're in Germany or wherever, and then you get access to all these other shows that maybe you don't have access to if you live in, say, Oklahoma. So there are a lot of benefits to ExpressVPN. Go to expressvpn.com slash Allie. You can get an extra three months free when you do E-X-P-R-E-S-S VPN.com slash Allie. ExpressVPN.com slash Allie. All right, so this is a kind of a, just a different topic, but I did want to touch on this because I've seen this article circulating. I've been meaning to talk about it. Um, speaking of media reporting and how they spin particular narratives in order just to make people angry without allowing people to think. And speaking of the weaponization of empathy, here is CNN doing just that with abortion. So here's the title of the CNN article that was published last week. Because of Florida abortion laws, she carried her baby to term knowing he would die. This is very similar to a story that NPR published about a Texas woman um, whose daughter had anencephaly, who was forced to birth her daughter rather than aborting her daughter at 20 weeks. And we talked about that then. This is very similar. So here's what the article says. A Florida woman unable to get an abortion in her state carried to term a baby who had no 
kidneys. Um, this is called Potter syndrome, and sometimes this is actually treatable through steroid treatments. They are able to help the baby form kidneys if they are not yet formed. I don't know exactly if her situation or if her son's situation was treatable, but it is not always a death sentence, just FYI. Uh, she said her pregnancy was proceeding normally until November, when at 24 weeks, an ultrasound showed that the fetus did not have kidneys and that she had hardly any amniotic fluid. Her doctors told her that the baby was sure to die. The condition is called Potter syndrome, and the specialist said it was incompatible with life. Now, just FYI, again, there are a lot of women, I'm sure there are women out there, who are told that their baby is incompatible with life and that ends up not being true. And so I think it's very unfortunate. I'm not saying that's true in this case, but I think it's very unfortunate that there are so many doctors who jump the gun um, by using that term that is described for such a wide array of diagnoses. I mean, sometimes you'll even hear doctors say that someone with Down syndrome, that they may be incompatible with life just because they won't have the same life that you and I do. So that's a very broad diagnosis that I think, again, is just um, an unfortunate uh, weaponization of their medical expertise that basically can guilt women or fearmonger women into having abortions that they shouldn't have. Her doctors told her that it was too late to terminate the pregnancy in Florida, which bans nearly all abortions after 15 weeks. The law pr does provide exceptions, but the doctors weren't sure if, um, if this situation fell under those. But actually, it it would. Now, I'm not saying that this is a good thing, but this is what the Florida law says. The new restrictive abortion law allows abortions after 15 weeks, okay, second trimester, if two doctors simply confirm the diagnosis of a fatal fetal abnormality in writing. But this is what we keep hearing, that even if, even if these states have exceptions, even if the law is clear about this, that the doctors are so scared, that they're so confused, they're so befuddled by these regulations that they just won't do anything. They're so scared that they're going to lose their licenses, that they won't even perform life-saving procedures for fear of violating the law. And so you'll hear the left say that is still the fault of these legislators. That's the fault of these pro-life laws, that these doctors are so confused and so scared. Look, I'm not buying that. I'm not buying that in Texas, there are good faith, good doctors who actually are ethical and truthful, who are saying, I'm not going to treat that ectopic pregnancy because I don't know whether or not it falls under the acceptable practice according to new Texas law. When the Texas law, just like all pro-life laws in every state say, yes, you can perform the procedure to remove the ectopic pregnancy. You have to. You have to. The baby is obviously not viable in that case. The woman is going to die. You have to remove this child. Every state allows for that. And so if there is a doctor who is saying, I am not going to perform this life-saving procedure, I'm just going to allow this woman to die or to at least be on her deathbed, that is not the fault of the law. That might be the fault of the doctor. It might be the fault of the media. It might be the fault of the hospitals who are supposed to clarify this policy for these doctors sowing confusion. It's not the fault of the law that's saying, I'm sorry, but you can't just dismember healthy babies. Like, 
that's not the fault of pro-life laws. There have always been regulations around abortions, especially in red states. Doctors have always had to navigate this. They've always had to figure out if the law allows them to perform abortions for certain reasons at certain times. They've always had to do that. So you're saying now all of a sudden they have no idea how to just because they've changed or become a little bit more strict. All of a sudden they're like, well, I guess I'm just going to let my patients die. There just seems to be a politicization of women's lives going on here for the purpose of trying to push back against pro-life legislation. So, I mean, abortion or uh, Florida's like pro-life law or abortion law rather is still more liberal than it is in a lot of other red states. So two doctors in this case, in the CNN case, they could have um, signed off and said, yes, this is a fatal fetal abnormality and this woman is justified in having an abortion. She could have had an abortion at 24 weeks if she wanted to. But CNN doesn't put that in the headline. Of course, they um, don't clarify that for us. That's something that we actually have to really dig for. And so Florida law actually didn't prevent this woman from having an abortion. Again, not that I would support that, not that I support that being a right, but this story is a non-story. It has nothing to do with Florida law. It might have to do with the doctors, but here's where the weaponized empathy comes in. Like we're supposed to ignore what the Florida law actually says. And we're also just supposed to say how awful, how awful that this woman was forced to carry her baby, how awful that this woman was forced to remain pregnant for however many weeks until she delivered her baby, who then died and she had to conduct a um she had to conduct a funeral for, which yes, it is awful. Like we can't have empathy for this woman. I am 24 weeks pregnant. Oh my goodness, I cannot imagine going to the doctor and hearing that my child doesn't have organs to survive, I would be absolutely devastated. I would be crushed. And yes, the rest of my pregnancy would be terrible. I would be so sad. It would be only the strength of the Lord that would pull me out of just like a deep, dark depression. So yes, I can feel for this woman and understand the pain of this and how shocking and traumatizing this diagnosis must have been. Am I supposed to be upset that this child wasn't dismembered in the womb and instead got to be born and to be held by his loving, by his mother who loved him, got to meet her and then got to die and be buried in a proper burial and honored at a proper funeral rather than dismembered by forceps and discarded like medical waste? Like, is that what empathy is supposed to push me towards? You're saying that true empathy and true compassion and true love says, yeah, this baby should have been violently murdered in the womb and then thrown away like trash rather than allowed to be born, to be held, to be seen, to be loved, and then to be buried with honor and dignity. No, I reject that. I reject your definition of empathy. I reject your faux compassion. Like I tweeted this, and of course, uh, most of y'all, of course, agree with me that it's still a human being, and a human being deserves dignity. A human de being deserves life. A human being deserves to be met and to be held. A human being doesn't deserve to die by the cold and sterile grip of a forcep before they're even able to take their first breath. But then, you know, I got people saying, wow, you're cruel, you're evil, that's so awful. How could you possibly say something like that? Look, you believe that it's okay to dismember babies for any reason. 
I don't want to hear your lecture on morality, on ethics, on compassion. If that's your position, you know nothing of it. I'm sorry. I believe that this baby is a human being made in the image of God with dignity and should have been treated as such. So no, CNN. I reject your emotional extortion. I'm not going to be upset that this sweet baby got to be gestated and got to be born and got to be held and got to be buried. I am very glad that he was not simply torn apart and thrown into the trash. I'm very glad of that. Um, You can always look out for that. In every media headline, like how are they trying to weaponize fake empathy by not telling the whole truth or directing our attention towards something and having us ignore the rest of the story or the facts of the story. All right, before I close this out, uh, let me pause and tell you about our last sponsor for the day, and that is my Patriot Supply. Well, boys and girls, we don't know what's going to happen. I think that much is obvious. We don't know what's going to happen in the future. We just want to make sure that our food supply is absolutely protected. That's why we have My Patriot Supply. It is a three-month food supply kit, and you can store it you know, anywhere in your home, cool, dark place, and it's good for 30 years. Hopefully, you'll never need it, but it's so much better to be safe than sorry when it comes to your food supply. So make sure that you get one three-month emergency food supply kit from My Patriot Supply for every member of your family. Then you have it. And I'm told that the meals are really good and they're nutritious. Um, So that's great. You're getting a lot of benefits from this. And right now, if you order, you'll get a bonus package of Crucial Survival gear. So should things really hit the fan, you'll you'll have the food, you'll have the survival gear all from My Patriot Supply. Go to mypatriotsupply.com to get your emergency food and your free survival gear. mypatriotsupply.com. All right, guys, like I said, we'll be back here tomorrow with a psychologist. We're going to be getting into the mind of a mass shooter. Gosh, what causes this? What material are they seeing online? How is social media and the internet? playing a role in all of this as well as what's typically referred to as like the incel movement that might be playing a part in all this craziness. I'm really excited to talk to him and to just get some insight. Um, on another on another happier note, uh, Mother's Day is coming up. Maybe Related Bros, if you order by today, you will be able to get relatable gear for your gal, for your baby mama by Mother's Day. If not, you could do a late Mother's Day gift. I've got my relatable shirt on now with the little salmon on there. If you know, you know we're salmon because we swim upstream against the current of chaos and confusion. That's what we try to do here on this podcast. I've also got fish on my back too. I think it says be a salmon on the back. Lots of different colors, lots of cute stuff, lots of hats, totes, all that good stuff. Um, All right. That's all we got time for today. We will be back here tomorrow. (laughs) 